This morning's reading comes from John 13 verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Yes, Jesus replied. You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. My name is Adam. It's so great to have you join us today. We're actually beginning a brand new sermon series today called Untroubled Hearts. For the next little while, we're going to be exploring chapters 13 to 16 in the Gospel of John. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Gospel of John, it's kind of like a biography of Jesus' life. It tells us about his origins, his life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. Now, you might not have realized this, but we've actually been working our way through the Gospel of John in the last few years. We've done a a number of different sermon series looking at the different sections of John's Gospel. We did a series looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. We did a series exploring Jesus' miracles. Another exploring Jesus' interactions with others. And a series looking at Jesus' prayer in chapter 17. And today, we come to chapters 13 to 16. And the question is, why these chapters and why now? Well, we actually planned to do this series around this time at our planning meeting at the end of last year. Now, we had no idea that COVID-19 was coming, but God did. And it's an incredible gift of God's providence that we can look at these chapters in such a time as this a time of uncertainty and and difficulty and confusion, because that is exactly the setting of these chapters that we'll be looking at. In fact, as chapter 13 begins, we read in verse 1, 
Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. In other words, the moment of Jesus' death and departure has arrived. It is the night before his crucifixion. It's only hours before his arrest. I mean, this is the beginning of Jesus' final day of life. And Jesus knew all that was about to happen. That's what verse 1 said. Jesus knew the hour had come. And so what he does is he gathers with his disciples privately in the upper room. He shares a meal with them. He comforts them. He begins to teach and instruct them to prepare them for his departure. Now, I don't know about you, but if I knew that I had one day left to live, I would choose to spend it with those whom I love the most. And I wouldn't just do whatever or say whatever. I would be very intentional about what I said and what I did. I mean, I wouldn't waste those precious moments. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He is with those whom he loves, and he is being very, very intentional about what he says and what he does. And this means that these chapters are are a precious gift because they tell us what really matters to Jesus. They tell us the things that Jesus wants us to remember. And this means if you're not a Christian and you're joining us today, we're so glad that you're here And I would say that this is going to be a really great series for you to join in on because we are going to hear from Jesus about what really matters to him. We'll be able to put all of our kind of preconceived ideas about Jesus to the side and we'll just be able to hear from his own lips about what really matters. If you're a Christian, it's my hope and it's my prayer that this series will be a great encouragement to you. In the next little while, we are going to be gaining a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. And it's actually knowing the heart of Jesus that enables us to live with untroubled hearts in this often troubled world. And so I'm really looking forward to our study of these chapters in coming weeks. And today we begin with verses 1 to 17 of chapter 13. And what is the very first thing in this passage that we see Jesus say or do? He sits down with his disciples on the, the night of his, uh, before his crucifixion. And what's the very first thing he does? Well, to be honest, it's a little bit surprising. I mean, I might expect Jesus to stand up and give a, a sermon. Or maybe to sing a song or give a theological lecture. Instead, Jesus gives the disciples a lesson that they'll never forget. He kneels down and he washes their dirty feet. Now, to wash someone else's feet today seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? It, It's not something that we do. I mean, we wash our own feet, don't we? Well, at least I hope that you do. I mean, if you were to come over to my house, I would give you a drink, I'd give you something to eat, a place to sit, but a pedicure is not going to be on offer. But in that day, it was actually incredibly common. In fact, it was expected. Now remember, this was in a time before cars, before uh, Nikes, and the roads were really dusty, which means your feet were almost always dirty. And so when you came to someone else's house, there would always be someone there to wash your feet before you came in. And usually this task was done by a household slave, and usually the lowest of the low. 
In fact, in his commentary uh, on the Gospel of John, Andrew Lincoln helps us to kind of grasp the gross reality of foot washing. This is what he says. He says, It involved washing off not just dust and mud, but also the remains of human excrement, which was tipped out of houses into the streets, and animal waste, which was left on country roads and town streets. The task of doing this as an act of hospitality to honour guests was therefore normally assigned to slaves or servants of low status. So much so that foot washing was virtually synonymous with slavery. I mean, it was a task for the lowest of the low. Now, obviously, on this occasion with Jesus and the disciples, there was no household slave to wash their feet before the meal. The meal's already started and their feet are still dirty. And obviously, none of them have offered to do it either. And this is why they must have been shocked, stunned silence when Jesus got up from his place at the table, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, filled a basin with water, and began to wash the feet of the disciples one by one including Judas, who Jesus knew would betray him. Now, can you imagine the shock of the disciples in that moment? Maybe it might help to think about it this way. Imagine you were invited to Buckingham Palace to have lunch with the Queen. And you're having a great time, you're enjoying your cucumber sandwiches and you're drinking your tea. And then after lunch, you're on your way out, but you you need to duck off to the loo. Now imagine you open the door and there on her knees is Her Majesty the Queen scrubbing the toilet. Now you would be totally shocked in that moment. You would probably say something like, Your Majesty, let me do that for you or let me find someone to do that for you. You probably wouldn't say, Oh, great job, Your Majesty. Maybe you want to head down the hall. There's another toilet that could do with some scrubbing as well. I mean, you would be shocked and I think your shock would be similar to what the disciples were experiencing as Jesus was washing their feet. But in reality, these two things don't even compare. Because this man on his knees in the role of a lowly servant, it is none other than Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised Savior, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the one who made all things. He is the one who stoops to the role of a lowly servant. Or as one ancient bishop named Severian puts it, he says, He who wraps the heavens in clouds, wrapped round himself a towel. He who pours the water into the rivers, tipped water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of the disciples. I mean, this is one of the most shocking and most significant moments in human history. Because it's not just about some dirty feet being washed. I mean, this event gives us a glimpse into the very heart of God. And it shows us that God does not demand that we reach up to him. But God descends to us. God stoops to serve us. And not only that, this event is a picture of the gospel. 
It's a parable, an acted parable of what Jesus came to do. I mean, think about it. We're told that Jesus got up from the meal just as he got up from his throne in heaven. We're told he took off his outer clothing just as he laid aside his glory. He wrapped a towel around his waist just as he took on human nature and the role of a servant. He poured water into a basin and washed his disciples' feet just as he would cleanse us on the cross. And then when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place just as he was about to return to his Father in heaven. I mean, this whole scene is a picture of the gospel. It points us forward to what Jesus would do through his death, resurrection, and ascension. And this is why Jesus says to the shocked and stunned disciples in verse 7, he says, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. See, as the disciples reflected on this, after the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday and, and Pentecost, they would come to realize that just as Jesus washed the dirt off their feet, when he went to the cross, he washed the stain of their sin. And this is the message that the disciples would go on to proclaim. But right now, here in this moment, they don't quite get it yet. And we really see this in Peter's response when Jesus comes to wash his feet. This is what we read in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, you can hear the indignation in Peter's reply, can't you? He just can't believe what he's seeing. Kids, can you imagine if your principal came to your house and began to clean your room? It would be shocking. And this is what's happening for the disciples. This is their rabbi, their teacher. And Peter thinks this is demeaning for Jesus. He is embarrassing himself. And so Peter objects on Jesus' behalf. Verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, in the original language, this is about as strong as you can get. Peter is saying, no, not ever, forget about it. Jesus, you will never, ever wash my feet. Now, how is Jesus going to respond to Peter? Jesus' response is actually profound. Jesus' response shows us the heart of Christianity. It shows us the way in with Jesus. Verse 8, he says to Peter, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. According to Jesus, if we want to know God, we must allow Jesus to wash us. We must allow God to serve us. Now let's just admit that this is the opposite of what we normally think. We normally think that if we are to come to know God, we need to wash ourselves. We need to clean ourselves. We need to get our act together and then God will accept us. But here, Jesus is telling us, no, 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 it's actually the opposite. If we want to come to know God, we must allow Jesus to wash us. We must allow Jesus to cleanse us. We must put aside all of our attempts at self-salvation and we need to throw ourselves on the grace and mercy of God through Jesus. And it's only when we do that that we truly come to know God. Now, why is this so hard for us to accept? 
Why do we sometimes recoil at or, or reject this idea? And the answer is our pride. I mean, we like to think that we bring something to the table. We like to think that we have something to offer. But the cross says to us that we have nothing to offer. That the only thing we contribute to our cleansing is our dirt. And this is hard for us to accept. But the good news is that God has made it easy for us to receive. Here's the way one pastor named TJ Timms puts it. He says, if we choose to die in our sins, it will not be because God did not humble himself. It will not be because God did not put his salvation low enough for us to get in on it. If we choose to die in our sins, we are going to have to step over a kneeling saviour. I mean, God has come down so low so that anyone can come to him, so that all can be cleansed by him, no matter how dirty you might feel. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know, earlier in our service, we sang the hymn, Just As I Am, Without One Plea. Now, this hymn was actually written by a lady named Charlotte Elliott. Charlotte was the granddaughter of a minister. She grew up in the Anglican church. But at the age of 32, Charlotte suffered from a serious illness. And it left her disabled for the rest of her life. And it led her to, to deep feelings of depression and anger. Eventually, she found an outlet through writing hymns. And in 1834, she wrote the most famous of all her hymns. She was living with her brother and his family, and one day they all went out to go to a church fete, except Charlotte. She was stuck at home on her own. She couldn't go because of her sickness, and she felt lonely, depressed, and angry. But in the midst of her pain, she remembered something that a, a friend had said to her recently. This friend had said to her, Come to Christ just as you are. And she began to think about this and reflect on it, and she began to write these words to that hymn that we sang. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Now what's holding you back? Why wouldn't you come? God's eyes are wide open. He sees all that you are. But the good news is that in Christ, God's arms are also wide open and he invites you to come, to be washed, to be cleansed, to be made new. And so the question is, has Christ washed you? We've been talking a lot lately and focusing a lot lately on washing our hands, and rightly so. But what about our souls? What about the stain of our moral guilt and our moral shame? Jesus says to us, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This is what he said to Peter, and in that moment, Peter didn't quite get it. But his response to Jesus is, as always, wholehearted. Look at what he says in verse 9. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In other words, Jesus, if I need to be washed to be with you, then wash all of me, not just my feet. Now, 
Jesus' response to, to Peter is, is somewhat surprising. We might expect him to commend Peter, but this is what he says. He says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, what does Jesus mean? What, what's his point? Well, Jesus is effectively saying that there are only two people in this world. There are those who need to be washed by Jesus, and there are those who need to go on being washed by Jesus. You see, maybe you have put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've received the gift of God's Spirit. The Bible would say, using Jesus' words, that you have had a bath. You have been washed clean. You have been regenerated, made new, born again. But the fact is, you still live in this world and you still wrestle with your sinful nature. And so you still step in it. You still sin. You still fall short, which means you need ongoing cleansing. I like the way that one commentator, Bruce Milne, puts it. He says, There is a once-for-all cleansing when we become Christians, as all our sins are judged and put away in the cross. But in the course of our ongoing Christian lives, sin intrudes daily. That sin, too, is to be cleansed through a daily coming to the Lord for His renewed washing. It's kind of like at night when I've had a shower, but then I need to go outside again to take out the rubbish or something. Now, I have to walk across the lawn to get to the bin, and the lawn might be wet, or there might be fertilizer on it. And, and so when I come back to the house, I don't have to have a shower again, but my feet need to be washed if my wife is going to let me in. Now, this is kind of the ongoing practice of daily repentance, the daily practice of confessing our sin and receiving forgiveness. You know, someone from our church um, messaged me this week, and, and part of what their message said was this. They said, what freedom we have when we humble ourselves before God and confess our sins. The good news is He forgives us, and we no longer have to live in the past. This is definitely something I have struggled with. I wish I could go back and change things, but I can't. But I can change what's in front of me with God's help. And so when you become aware of your dirty feet, when you realize that you've stepped in it, do you turn to Christ? Or do you run away and think you need to clean yourself up before you can come back to God? Christ stands with open arms and with all the cleansing that you need. Don't run away from Him. Run to Him. Now at this point in the meal, following this conversation between Jesus and Peter, I'm sure that the disciples' heads were spinning. And so Jesus now sits down and he begins to explain to them what he has done. It's what he says in verses 14 and 15. He says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so the washing, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, it's not only a glimpse into the heart of God, it's not only a picture of the gospel, it's not only a reminder of our need for ongoing cleansing, it's also an example for us to follow. Now, does this mean that we need to have foot washing ceremonies? Should we pull out the bucket and the towel when we can all come back together again as a church family? Well, this is what some church traditions have done. And it can be a powerfully symbolic moment. I've officiated weddings where the, it's been done. 
My wife Molly often talks about when she was a brand new teacher at a brand new school. And at one of their very first staff meetings, uh, the principal washed the feet of all the staff. She set the tone for servant-heartedness in the school. It can be a powerful thing to do. But, and, and maybe this will make you relieved, Jesus is not talking literally. He's not saying we have to wash everyone's feet. He's talking about our attitude toward others. He's calling on us to live a life of love and service and humility. And his logic is compelling. I mean, if Jesus, the Lord of the universe, has stooped so low, how could we possibly say that anything is beneath us? How could we possibly refuse to serve others? Even when it's difficult and messy and demeaning. And actually, our willingness to serve others, it is proof that we are truly following Jesus. It's evidence that we truly know Jesus. This is Jesus' point in verse 16 when he says, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, because Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, walked the path of humble service, if we are truly following him, then we will walk that same path. This is why Amy Carmichael, who was a a missionary to India in the early 1900s, she would ask those who converted to Christianity from the upper echelons of Indian society uh, to, to demonstrate the reality of their conversion, she would ask them to dig trenches for those from lower socioeconomic classes of India. This is why John Stott, who was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, when he was invited to speak at a a conference in Africa, after the conference was finished, they found him sweeping the floor of the meeting room that they had been in. This is why Father Damien de Vusta travelled to Hawaii in the 1870s to visit a leper colony on Molokai Island. Now, when he saw the absolute horror of their situation, he insisted that he remain on the island permanently. And despite the the wounds and the mutilations of those who he was serving, Father Damien overlooked it and he got stuck in. He built houses and orphanages and he introduced music. He served as a teacher, a gardener, a magistrate. And he taught them that they were all precious and valuable to God and that death was not the end. Now, eventually, Father Damien contracted leprosy and he died alongside those whom he served. But his sacrifice inspired others to follow in his footsteps, which were actually the footsteps of Jesus. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, you don't have to be a missionary in India or sweep floors in Africa or or, or go to a leper colony in Hawaii. But God has placed you somewhere. God has placed you in your home, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your social circles, in your neighborhood, on your street. And God has placed you there to serve others. God has placed you in our church family to kneel down, to get low, to serve others. And so the question is, are you doing that? Are you following the example of your Lord and Savior? You know, Jesus goes on to say in verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
Jesus doesn't say we'll be blessed if we preach about it or listen to it or, or have these things done to us, though they're all wonderful things. He says we will be blessed if we do them. And so there's the challenge for you and for me. There's the challenge for us as a church. Now, I've been so encouraged these last few weeks. In all that's been going on, there have been so many people in our church community who have put these words into practice. There have been countless groceries donated and given away. There have been meals made. There have been countless phone calls. There has been ongoing generosity. There has been ongoing prayers. There have been cards written and delivered. There have been kids' church lessons planned and put together and, and delivered. I mean, on and on I could go. Thank you to those of you who have wrapped a towel around your waist, picked up a basin of water, and kneeled down to serve others. You have truly shone the light and the love of Jesus. And so let's continue to do that together. Let's continue to serve others like Jesus has served us so that more people might come to know Jesus and so that God might be glorified through us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have descended to us. We thank you that you have stooped down to serve us. We don't deserve it, Lord, and yet you freely give it to us. And so, Lord, we ask and we pray that we might come to Jesus, that we might be washed by Jesus, that we might allow Jesus to serve us so that we, filled by your Spirit, might go out and serve others. Lord, help us to be a people and a church that is so filled with your love that we overflow in service and love for others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.